This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, Pope Francis embarks on his fourth Latin American visit. We'll discuss the Pope's travels and their symbolic message. But first, Natalie Ottinger has our weekly review of news from around Latin America. Researchers at the Center for Disease Control in the United States have confirmed that the Zika virus caused birth defects in children in Brazil. The director of the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, Dr. Tom Frieden testified about the research into Zika before a congressional committee this week. Working with our Brazilian colleagues, the CDC laboratory was able to identify the genetic material of the Zika virus in the brain tissue. This is the strongest evidence to date that Zika is the cause of microcephaly. Microcephaly is a birth defect that causes abnormally small heads in babies and brain damage. Frieden also predicted that Puerto Rico faces the highest danger among U.S. territories for widespread exposure to Zika. The virus has already been linked to hundreds of cases of microcephaly in Brazil. This week, the CDC issued its highest alert due to Zika. The Obama administration is asking Congress for an additional $1.8 billion to fight the virus. The Cuban refugee crisis in Central America may finally be coming to an end as governments in Costa Rica and Panama have now decided to fly the refugees directly to the U.S. border with Mexico. U.S. immigration policy allows the Cubans to enter the U.S. as refugees if they manage to get to the U.S. land territory and are not first found at sea. For a time, Ecuador allowed Cubans to travel there without a visa, and many Cubans decided to travel to Ecuador and then proceed northward to the United States. But late last fall, Nicaragua closed its borders to the Cuban refugees, trapping thousands in Costa Rica. And then Costa Rica also closed its borders to more refugees, trapping thousands more in Panama. This week, both Panama and Costa Rica arranged flights for many of the refugees, flights carrying them to northern Mexico, where they will be very close to the U.S. border. Latin American Pope, Pope Francis, is headed back to this hemisphere today, Friday, February 12th, and he's poised to make history, the type of history that only happens once in a thousand years or so. The Pope will land in Cuba to meet with Patriarch Kirill, the head of the Russian Orthodox Church. It's the first meeting of a Pope and the head of the Russian Orthodox Church since the year 1054, a year when the Catholic Church split into Eastern and Western factions. The two church leaders are expected to discuss the global refugee crisis and the persecution of Christians in the Middle East during their talks. We'll have more on the Pope's trip later in this program. Mexico's president, Enrique Peña Nieto, is getting a lesson in what not to do before a pope comes to call. This week, an investigative team working with Proceso magazine revealed that Peña Nieto's marriage to First Lady Angelica Rivera may have been staged, and that the president and the First Lady may have used undue political pressure and influence to get Rivera an annulment from her first marriage. Catholics are not allowed to remarry and stay part of the church unless they seek an official annulment. 
usually a time-consuming and expensive process. The investigative reports say it is possible Peña Nieto and Rivera held their wedding before the annulment was fully processed. Rivera is a popular telenovela actress who was married for four years to a television producer and who has three children from that union. The reports say Peña Nieto personally traveled to Rome to press Pope Benedict XVI for a speedy annulment. Benedict is the predecessor of Pope Francis, and Pope Francis has made cleaning up corruption and special favors in the Vatican one of his central roles. For Latin Pulse, I'm Natalie Ottinger. Thanks, Natalie. Our shout-out this week goes to our listeners in Guatemala. Our listening group in Guatemala was our third largest this past month, behind our listeners in the U.S. and Mexico. So we say mil gracias to all of our listeners in Guatemala and elsewhere around the globe. And now on to our program devoted to the Pope's travels to Mexico. If all goes as scheduled as this program comes online this week, the Pope's plane will be touching down in Cuba for a short but historic visit, as we just heard. And then it's on to Mexico for a five-day tour. Mexico is the country with the second largest Catholic population in the world, so the leader of the Roman Catholic Church often has a very special relationship with that country. We turn to Andrew Chestnut at Virginia Commonwealth University for insight on the Pope's trip. Chestnut is the author of Competitive Spirits, Latin America's New Religious Economy. He joined us via Skype from Richmond, Virginia. After the Brazil trip, and let's remember it, it wasn't uh, Pope Francis who planned the Brazil trip. It already had been planned by, by Pope Benedict. I think this is really the most important trip in his three-year papacy in that, you know, Mexico has the second largest Catholic population on earth. Um, a fair amount of Mexicans felt somewhat overlooked when Pope Francis recently came to both Cuba and the United States. And of course, the great irony is the latest news that once again, Pope Francis will be stopping in Havana en route to Mexico to meet with the Russian Orthodox Patriarch uh, Krill in this in this historic meeting between the two. But anyway, you know, Mexico, Brazil, and Mexico are the two most are the two largest Catholic countries on earth. Mexico hasn't experienced the precipitous decline in, in Catholic membership that many other Latin American nations is, namely Brazil, which is now down to sixty one percent. Um, nonetheless, uh, Mexico is down to 81% Catholic. Um, most Mexicans who, who say that they're Catholic don't really practice. And, uh, and also, you know, really importantly, Mexico is in the midst of this very bloody drug war that's been going on for 10 years now and has claimed some 100,000 lives since the end of 2006. And I, I think there's a lot of, of the major overarching themes on the on this on the papal agenda that really resonate in Mexico in a way that haven't necessarily on other national tours that he's made. And what would those themes be? Well, one for example, uh, at the top of, of his agenda has been the plight of migrants and refugees and of course he witnesses that firsthand with a great influx particularly of Syrian uh, Syrian refugees and migrants lately. And, and so migrants in particular will be a, a really large theme on the papal agenda. Both the, the hundreds of thousands of Central American migrants who are fleeing 
some of the worst violence in the world. In fact, El Salvador, Honduras have, have two of the highest homicide rates in the world. And of course, the gateway to entry on, on route to the United States is, is Chiapas, uh, Mexico's poorest and southernmost state, uh, where most of them entry. So, so one theme will be Central American migrants who, uh, who many times have a really hard time as they're traversing Mexico, mostly on their way to the United States. And of course, when he's on the border in Ciudad Juarez, of course, Juarez and, and, and the whole Texas border is one of the great gateways for both Mexicans and Central Americans in the United States as well. The, here in the United States, um, in the past few decades, the growth of, of the Catholic Church, which is now approaching 40% Latino, really has depended heavily on this influx of, of Mexican migrants. And the last couple of years, that isn't happening. Uh, last couple of years, we've actually had more Mexicans return to, to Mexico than uh, Mexicans incoming to the United States. And so this is, this is also... This issue of migrants is also strategic for the church as well, as we see for the first first time in the past decade, the Catholic Church here in the United States, which is the fourth largest in the world, actually lost members for the first time in recent history. So definitely migration will be one of the top uh, papal themes. There's a bit of a stark difference here in this particular trip, at least what it looks like ahead of the trip and the trip that the Pope took to the Andes this past year, that trip seemed to be very much staying away from controversy, um, just trying to celebrate um, the church's presence in that part of the world. Here in Mexico, it seems like the Pope is going right up against the issues, immigration being one of them. Yeah, I think he's really going to dive into the thick of it. And, and in the mode of his wearing the hat as Pope of the Periphery, with the exception of Mexico City, and, and he said on, on a papal trip back from Africa, on the plane back from Af- Africa, he said, you know, the, the, the only reason I'm really going to Mexico City is to, is to visit the Basilica of the Virgin of Guadalupe. Otherwise, he wouldn't go there because all of the other destinations really are part of the Mexican uh, margins, the Mexican periphery. Uh, my wife's home state of Michoacan, the state capital of Morelia, Really, the sole reason he's going there is because Michoacan has been at the epicenter of the ongoing narco war, has experienced some of the bloodiest violence with the Knights Templar cartel, La Familia Michoacana, and uh, they now have their first cardinal in the state's history, uh, Cardinal La Suarez Inda, because Pope Francis elevated him to that position last year, largely because he's been a really outspoken critic of cartel violence in that state. Um, the most peripheral state, arguably, in Mexico is, is what I would argue is really kind of the linchpin of his visit, and that's the, uh, the southernmost state of Chiapas, which is the poorest state in Mexico, the most indigenous the least Catholic, only about 64% of Chiapanecos are Catholic, and the most Protestant, 23 to 24% of Chiapans are Protestant. And of course, it's also a gateway of Central Americans entering Mexico as well. Um, so yeah, the themes of, of violence, of, uh, of political corruption, uh, I, think, I think are going to be much more salient 
than they were, as you point out, Rick, in, in South America. However, it is interesting to note, while he is going to all these peripheral regions, he is not going to the hot spot today in Mexico with the worst narco violence, and that's the state of Guerrero, uh, where Acapulco has the world's fourth highest murder rate uh, in the world right now. He's avoiding that. I think it just would have been too politically sensitive. And that's, of course, where the 43 um, teacher college students uh, from Ayotzinapa uh, were disappeared and, and probably murdered recently. And there has been some call for him to meet with their relatives. Um, it, the Vatican said that there's nothing on the official schedule, but it is possible he might have a uh, closed doors impromptu meeting with them. Let's also talk about the fact that um, usually uh, a president of a country benefits from a papal visit, but um, there seems to be a, a breaking scandal going on in Mexico right now that, that makes the timing of this visit maybe a bit inopportune for President Enrique Peña Nieto. Yeah, uh, President Peña Nieto um, doesn't have the highest uh, popular popularity ratings. Obviously, he was hoping that he would get some kind of uptick in popularity from the recent uh, third recapture of uh, El Chapo Guzman, the, the great kingpin of the Sinaloa cartel. Um, but now, yeah, there's been a breaking scandal over the past few days in which uh, it seems that um, members of the, of the Catholic Church um, might have helped uh, fast-track the annulment of the first marriage of the first lady. Um, there's always been kind of accusations in Mexico that, that you know, the conservative hot hierarchy hobnobs, which the rich and powerful. So one of Mexico's um, leading journalists, um, Carmen Aristegui, um, was the first to report this a few days ago. And, and yeah, once again, I think the Mexican president finds himself you know, mired in, in, in charges of, of corruption. Uh, and of course, this, this brings in the element of the church as well. Am I correct in that part of this scandal is the fact that um, the current president of Mexico, when he was the governor of the state of Mexico, may have faked his marriage to his, his wife? Yeah, that, that's part of the allegation as well, right? So, so in true kind of Mexican, Latin American telenovela or soap opera form, uh, yeah, this is playing out in, in, on the eve of, of the papal visit, yes. It, well, and the further irony is that the, the First Lady of Mexico is a former telenovela actress. Exactly, exactly. I think, you know, those of us who are Mexico watchers um, sometimes feel like we're watching a never-ending tele telenovela here, and, and this is part of it. But, but doesn't this also speak to corruption in the Mexican church? And this is a pope who has gone after corruption— uh, it puts him in a in a delicate position, does it not? Uh, yeah, it does. It does. But, you know, at the same time, a few months ago, Pope Francis uh, granted a plenary indulgence to the much uh, disgraced founder of the Legion of Christ, uh, Marcel Marcel. A lot of uh, Mexicans were very unhappy about that because uh, a series of exposés have, you know, revealed that he was a serial pedophile, uh, fathered many children and such, 
and uh, and this kind of plenary indulgence to to members of uh, the Legion of Christ really upset lots of Mexicans as well. And I think you know many felt frustrated what you, when they when they had seen uh, perceived Pope Francis as an ally in combating church corruption as well. So yeah, it's complicated. A lot for us to consider as we watch the Pope in his trip throughout Mexico. Thank you very much, Andrew Chestnut, the author of Competitive Spirits, Latin America's New Religious Economy, professor at Virginia Commonwealth University. Join us today via Skype from Virginia. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Rick. Thanks for having me back. Coming up, what will the Pope likely say about migration and refugees? We'll have an analysis. Stay with us. Democracy is synonymous with independence. Independence is synonymous with emancipation. Emancipation is synonymous with sovereignty. Sovereignty is synonymous with superiority. Superiority is synonymous with arrogance. Arrogance is synonymous with domination, and domination is synonymous with dictatorship. Dictatorship always finds its way. Amnesty International. Learn. Indignate. Act. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. As part of the Pope's travels in Mexico, he'll spend a day in Ciudad Juarez, just across the border from El Paso, Texas. He's scheduled to hold a large open-air mass and discuss migration along with other issues. We asked Maureen Meyer to help us understand the importance of this part of the Pope's visit. Meyer is with the Washington Office on Latin America, WOLA. She joined us via Skype from Washington, D.C. I think it's it's very, very important that, that Pope Francis has decided to put such a spotlight on migration in Mexico, both in terms of the, the mass and the activities he's holding at the U.S.-Mexico border, um, Ciudad Juarez, and then having the mass actually broadcast in, in El Paso, so on the U.S. side, but also because if you look at the route that Pope Francis ha- is taking during his travels in Mexico, it's very clearly focused on not just Mexican migration to the United States and the U.S.-Mexico border, but what happens through um, with migrants traveling through Mexico. So starting his trip in Chiapas, which has been the center point of enforcement and what is known as um, Mexico's southern border program on enforcing and detaining Central American migrants, mostly trying to, to travel through Mexico, going up towards um, Ecatepec, so Mexico City area, where, where migrants also travel. And then obviously, you know, beyond Michoacan, ending his trip at, at the U.S.-Mexico border. And so I think symbolically it's important, but it's also very important to shed light not just on U.S., Mexico migration issues or what the U.S. needs to be doing, but also hopefully what the Mexican government should be doing and doing better in terms of um, addressing particularly Central American migrants traveling through Mexico. Well, let's get to a few of those points in a bit. But but first, um, do you expect the Pope to, to make any policy statement? Um, and if so, what would that policy statement be as, as a suggestion to both the U.S. and Mexican governments? Well, being the Pope, I think you you don't necessarily expect specific policy statements recalling how he spoke to the U.S. Congress when when he was here last year. I think it's more um, broader picture, big picture issues, but certainly calling to task policymakers, I think in both countries in this case, to more fully address these issues and to really look more at protection issues. You know, he has commented many times, 
you know, we are countries of immigrants. We need to be doing better to protect populations. We need to address migrants as, as humans and, and protect them. And so I think we'll likely see similar um, statements said during during his trip, I think particularly, as you said, at the U.S.-Mexico border, where on the U.S. side, immigration has become a very tense issue in, in the political debates. Um, so I would suspect we will hear more of that type of reflections and calling from the spiritual point of view, calling to task and reflecting on what policymakers should be doing and doing better to, to address migration issues. I'm glad you brought up the political debates, the presidential political debates in the United States, the Republican debates in particular, have seemed to have a particular unreality to them that um, uh, a lot of mythology, I would say, about um, and perhaps fear-mongering about the issue of immigration. It tends to be centered on Mexican immigration, but the statistics don't seem to, to jibe with what we're hearing from the political debates right now about migration, or do they? No, I mean, I think if you look at overall apprehension numbers in the United States, um, apprehensions are at a historic low. They're pretty much comparable to numbers in terms of um, detentions of migrants from any country, uh, similar to the numbers we saw in the 1970s. Um, what has alarmed policymakers more is this uh, increasing surge of Central American migrants. So not the, what you, the traditional Mexican um, economic migrants, but much more what we're seeing, which are Central American migrants in many of these um, people probably not migrants as much as refugees fleeing widespread violence in their countries. Um, so I think a lot of what we see in, in the, the immigration discussions or border security discussions in the United States, particularly, as you said, um, with the Republican Party, are pretty much in a fact-free zone. So not necessarily based on the reality on the border, but much more based on, um, as you said, creating climate of fear or fear of other, um, and certainly uh, calling for somehow miraculously building a wall between the two countries would somehow solve all of these. These are human problems. You spoke before about the Pope will create a climate, perhaps, for a discussion about particular policy issues. In your mind, then, what doors does the Pope open in, in this particular symbolic mission? Um, what policies should the U.S. and Mexico be following? And importantly, is there really a political climate in either country for pushing those policies forward? Well, I think it depends on the issue, obviously, and we can talk more broadly of Pope Francis's overall trip to Mexico, which hopefully have, will also have a focus on, you know, violence, corruption, victims of violence in Mexico. But if we look at just the immigration side of things, I would hopefully um, have the message to the Mexican government in particular as a country that has, in a sense, taken on a much stronger role as an immigration enforcer than what we had seen historically. They apprehended um, 71% more Central American migrants last year than in previous periods. So we're seeing Mexico taking on this role, and yet we haven't seen that also be adjusted to how does Mexico better protect migrants or people that could qualify for being refugees in their country. So hopefully a more push towards protection and effort the Mexican government has def definitely not taken to broaden its own refugee um, processing system or ability to screen people for protection concerns. And I think more broadly than obviously the, the issue in the United States is similar in terms of making sure that we are not deporting people to their deaths, in particular in the case of Central Americans, back to very dangerous situations, but a more broader context of the, the need, obviously, for immigration reform in the United States, which I do think, unfortunately, is certainly not in the picture, not in an election year. And, and in terms of the U.S., it will be, I think, very much determined on the, the election results from 
from November. No one wants to take this on in an election year, and, and we will have to see then what the composition is of the Congress and also clearly who wins the presidency in terms of what possibilities there will be to, to do anything. I'll note that the Pope actually starts his trip into this hemisphere, um, not in Mexico, but in Cuba. And we on this program, as you too have been tracking um, the issue of the Cuban refugees, uh, some of whom were stuck for a time along the Costa Rican border with Nicaragua, um, some who were stuck, uh, may still be stuck in Panama, um, but this trickling group of refugees and the different framing of how they are welcome to the United States. And, and of course, the law allows a particular loophole to, to grant them refugee status when they come in, as opposed to Central Americans who they may also be traveling right alongside as they, as they travel through Mexico. And so I'm struck by that and whether that will, too, become part of this this story as the Pope discusses migration. You know, it could. It's certainly something that causes a lot of um, consternation, I would say, in, in Mexico and certainly with the Central American governments themselves who are undeniably working to you know, support the Cubans as they travel through their countries now, with the exception, as we've seen, of, of Nicaragua. But in terms of getting to the solution now, which is that these Cubans are traveling to Mexico and then oftentimes flying up to the U.S.-Mexico border. I think that the big disconnect is why this population has got these privileges when what you see, particularly in the Northern Triangle countries of Central America and you know, mainly El Salvador and Honduras, such overwhelming levels of violence. And these people are fleeing very difficult situations many times where their lives are at risk. And yet for them to travel to the United States, they, they often have very treacherous, harrowing journeys um, subject to persecution and then certainly not with a guarantee that once they get to the United States they will be able to stay. And so I think there is a lot of um, double standard happening in terms of why Cubans have this privilege um, when you have I think a growing population of probably quite like refugees from the Northern Triangle countries that have no real guarantee that they will receive any type of protection once they leave their countries. Do you have any special hopes that you'd like to see come out of this Pope's trip? I think, you know, looking at where colleagues in Mexico, uh, human rights organizations and, and victims, um, you know, expectations are for the hope. You would hope the Pope would speak firmly about Mexico's human rights crisis, about the over 27,000 people that have been disappeared in, since 2007, about the case of the 43 enforced disappearance of the students from Ayotzinapa and Guerrero, which is still to be to be solved. I mean, I think just reflecting and highlighting these broad crises in Mexico and certainly standing with the victims, which you would expect that the Pope would do, but also, you know, raising that issue with, with the Mexican government. Uh, you... There's actually a very interesting editorial by the Catholic Church, the Archdiocese of Mexico, on the eve anniversary or the eve of the Pope's visit, which made it very clear that they are not thinking about this visit as some red carpet. They said the red carpet doesn't sort of cover up what's under and what are these big, large problems in Mexico. So hopefully the Pope himself will also speak about these problems and not just um, allow his visit to be a rosy picture of, of, of Mexico. This pope is seen as a reformer. There's certainly some reform that the Catholic Church in Mexico has, has called out for, that in, in some ways the church has been tied to some of these problems in, in certain localities. 
Yeah, I think there's there's a, a, a two sides of this too, which is one, there's certainly priests that have been implicated in corruption or in accepting money to build churches from drug traffickers. There's also the reality that in recent years, Catholic priests have been increasingly kidnapped, subject to persecution, are working in very dangerous areas and working to support these communities that go through such high levels of, of violence and criminality. So I think you're seeing the church um, or more and more beyond as you had mentioned, the, the Catholic priests that are very much in solidarity with migrants and migrant shelters, but a broader sector of the church really speaking out more forcefully about violence, about corruption, about human rights violations in Mexico than we had seen perhaps in, in previous years. Thank you so much, Maureen Meyer of the Washington Office on Latin America, WOLA, our guest today on Latin Pulse, joining us via Skype from Washington, D.C. Thank you, Maureen. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for joining us for our program previewing the Pope's trip to Mexico. If you'd like to send us your suggestions or comments, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. If you're looking for earlier editions of Latin Pulse, we're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Henty Flow. Latin Pulse is also now available through the website Latin America Goes Global. You can find that website at Latin America Goes Global, written as all one word, dot O-R-G. And as always, you can find us in the Brazilian online game, Minimundos. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, dot O-R-G, and then slash Latin dash Pulse. That's www.linktv.org slash latin-pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, associate producer Natalie Oninger and technical director Jim Singer, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchenos otra vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support through Webster University and Link TV. This program is copyright 2016 Las Rocas Productions. Mm-hmm.